You're listening to The Gospel Effect, a sermon series about the teachings of Jesus and how they should affect the lives of Christians. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. All right, how are we doing, Elevate? We doing good? Yeah? Turn to the person sitting next to you and say, I sure hope he doesn't make me turn and talk to you today. (laughs) Hey, it is good to see you. If you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews. I'm one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I'm so glad that you are here. We're in week three of a series we've been in that we have titled The Gospel Effect, The Gospel Effect. And what we're actually talking about is how the gospel really is meant to affect your life and to affect my life. It's not the teachings of Jesus aren't just words that are supposed to be spoken out into the air that don't really uh, make any kind of difference in our life. They are supposed to change every aspect of our life and cause us to live differently. Now, as we start this morning, how many of you would just admit this morning that you are married? You're married. Yep. 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 A couple people. Yep. Yep. All right. Some of y'all were like, ah, yes. I'm All right. What about this? How many of y'all are single, but one day you hope to get married? You know, if you're single, look around, kind of give somebody a wink. All right. Yeah. Welcome to church. Yeah. All right. But how, so this is a question really for the, for the married people, but it's something that the single people are going to have to learn. How many of you are married? And like, you know, you, you had to learn how to literally sleep with somebody. Get your head out of the gutter. I'm talking about actually sleeping. You know what I mean? But you had to learn like how to sleep with somebody. Yeah, I've been married for 14 years and it's still something that I really am uh, learning. See, before you get married, you think, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to snuggle up next to each other and we're going to cuddle and it's going to be great. You actually think that this is what it's going to look like when you sleep, right? Let me get this picture here. Everybody say, oh, you think you're going to look like that. But guess what? When you sleep, it doesn't look like that at all. Why? Why? The truth is nobody sleeps like that. And the reason why is because you need blood to circulate through your arm when you're sleeping, right? If somebody is laying on your arm and it's going to go to sleep and you're going to be like, get off of me, get me right. I, I don't know. I don't know how, if you guys are like me, but man, I, I don't mind cuddling for about five minutes. But then I'm done. Get off of me. Get on your side of the bed. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Yeah, for real. And so you think that would be easy? You know what I mean? For there to be sides. This is your side. This is my side. But it's it's hard. In fact, a lot of married couples, their bed looks like this. Here's what it looks like right here. Her side, his side. Anybody know? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Man, you'd think it'd be easy, but it's not. Then, if you have a kid or something like that, you know, it even messes up the lines even further, and your, your sides go from looking like this to looking like this, right? Anybody? I think we got a picture there. Yeah. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? A little toddler in the middle. Man, get away from me, man. But I can't, I can't cuddle. I can't snuggle when I'm trying to sleep. I got to have everything just right. The lights have got to be up. It's got to be dark. I got to have a ceiling fan going. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I got to have a box fan going. Everything has got to be just right. The temperature has to be just right because if it's too cold, what are you going to do? You're going to shiver, right? And if it's too hot, what are you going to do? You're going to sweat again. That's what the right temperature is good for is making you, making you go to sleep. The right temperature makes you fall asleep. And, and, and look at what Jesus says in the book of Revelation chapter 3 verse 15. Jesus says this. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. In that verse, Jesus is looking at a church and he says, you know what? 
I, I wish you were hot. I, I wish you were either hot or cold, but, but you're not. You're lukewarm. The temperature is just right, and it has caused you to fall asleep. I, I wonder if Jesus were able to say something to you and say something to me. If he was able to say something to the church today, would he say something very similar? See, what would it take for you to adjust the temperature in your life? What would it take for you to adjust the comfort settings and actually step into what it is that God has for you, the life that he has for you to live? Are we willing to adjust the temperature in our life? Because Jesus hasn't called us to comfort. Jesus hasn't called us to sleep spiritually. Jesus hasn't called us to be lukewarm. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. Are you lukewarm? Are you lukewarm? See, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked a question. He's asked a question by this expert in the law, and the expert in the law comes up to Jesus to ask this question. And he's not really asking Jesus this question to gain any kind of knowledge. He's asking this question because he wants to try to trip Jesus up. He wants to find something that he can use against Jesus, that he and the Pharisees can use against him. And so the expert in the law comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment in the law? And you got to see what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Uh, check it out. It says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Everybody say all. All. Now, what's interesting about that word all in the original Greek language is that that word all actually means all. Everybody say, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's amazing. It means all. And Jesus, what he is doing right there is he is laying out what the essentials are when it comes to following him, what the essentials are when it comes to following God. And Jesus says that God requires every part of you, every part of me. Jesus requires it all. There's not a part of you or a part of me that Jesus says, no, 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 I, I, don't, really, I don't really want that part right there. God wants it all. And the truth is, that's tough. Because see, if we haven't given Jesus our all, we really haven't given him any. We haven't. If we haven't given Jesus our all, we really haven't given him any. And the reason why it's so hard for us to give Jesus our all is because we're control freaks. Anybody know a control freak out there? Yeah, yeah. Some of y'all don't want to raise your hand, but you know you married one. You know what I mean? Anyway, uh, so, so again, but we know control freaks. I remember when DirecTV first came out. Anybody got DirecTV? Man, I remember when it first came out years ago, you had the ability to pause live television live television. You could be watching the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world. And you could say, hey, you know what? You're going to have to hold on a second. Pause. I need to go make me a sandwich. The, I mean, you, you could do that. You could say, hey, you know what? Fast forward. You could rewind. It was so much power in this remote control, so much, so much power. And, and that's really how we want our life to be. We want to know the weather, we want to know the traffic patterns. We want to know what's going on. And the reason why is because we want to know how to prepare. Because when we're able to prepare, it makes us feel like we are in control. But being a follower of Christ means that you relinquish control. It means that you give up control and that you follow Jesus wherever he leads. And that's uncomfortable. 
That's uncomfortable. So today, what I want to do for the rest of the time that we got together is I want to point out four characteristics of lukewarm Christians. Four characteristics, because if any of these characteristics describe you and your walk with God, you might need to make a change today. If you're taking notes, you want to write them down. The first thing that I want you to see about a lukewarm Christian is this, is that lukewarm Christians have an untested faith. They have an untested faith. Uh, lukewarm Christians have a faith that does not allow testing. Now, I remember when I was in high school, you had to take uh, two semesters of a foreign language. In our school, I went to Pearl, and we offered French and we offered Spanish. Well, I never saw myself uh, going to France, so I didn't think I needed to take that, but I liked Mexican food, so I said, you know what, I'm going to take Spanish. That's going to be my best bet. So I take Spanish one, and I had the best teacher in the world. Her name was Miss Ray, and Miss Ray never gave tests. She never gave tests. Now, I had buddies who took French, and man, they were struggling with their grades. They were doing bad. Uh, you know, they would fail a lot of times, but me, I had good grades because Miss Ray never gave tests. In fact, what she practiced was this thing called passive learning. What she would do is she would turn on a lamp at her desk and she would turn off the lights in her classroom. And she would say, okay, everybody, you can lay your head down on your desk. And she would read Spanish to us. And the idea was that you would passively learn. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't really know if I ever learned anything, but I got some of the greatest naps in my high school career in that class. You know what I mean? And so, uh, so I loved it. Everything was great. No test. Everything was great. Everything was good until I took Spanish too. And I had another teacher who believed in tests. And he actually wouldn't speak to you unless you were speaking Spanish. Well, I didn't know Spanish. I slept through Spanish one. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, if you had to go to the bathroom, he wasn't going to, re to acknowledge you unless it was Spanish, you know? And you'd, I'd go, hey, man, can, can I go to the bathroom? No comprende. Man, I know you understand what I'm saying. This is Pearl, man. You speak English. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying. And so I'd try again. I'd leave. I need to go to the bathroom, oh, no comprende. So I'd try again. My tummy no feel yummy. No comprende. I mean, it just didn't work. He wasn't going to listen to you unless you were speaking Spanish. So I never spoke in that class. But here I was. I was thinking that Spanish, one, was great because there were no tests. But the problem was, because there were no tests, I wasn't prepared for Spanish 2. Because I never took a test, I was never prepared for what was next. Well, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus, he's being followed by huge crowds of people, and things are great. Jesus is performing all these miracles. Man, he's casting out demons, and he gives his followers the authority to do exactly what he's doing. And he says, look. You know, before you go out, though, you need to understand that you're going to be opposed. You're going to be tested. Jesus tries to change their thoughts on what it means to really follow him and how great it is. And I want you to see what he says in verses 34 through 38. Jesus says this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Can't you imagine him going, what are you talking about, Jesus? Man, we like the free fish and chips we get for following you. We like all the good stuff we get to, for following you. What do you mean you didn't come to bring peace? You, you came to bring a sword? I thought we were going to sing Kumbaya in a circle and all, but everybody was going to get along. But he says, uh-uh, I came to bring a sword. He says, 
I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Man, did somebody make Jesus mad here? What's going on? Somebody's thinking, man, it was Billy Bob. I know. I told Billy Bob not to talk to Jesus, but here he is. He's made Jesus mad. He's upsetting. That's why he's talking crazy. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. What? Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But Jesus, we got baseball. We got football. We got all these things. And then Jesus really gets to the heart of what he's trying to communicate. See, if he hasn't already run people off from following him, he's about to. He's about to because look at what he says. He's, he's really going to show them what it means to follow them in verse 38. To follow him, he says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus says to the crowds, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. Well, see, we're 2,000 years removed from this. And so it doesn't really have the impact on our hearts and on our ears and on our minds as it did on the original hearers. We really have to kind of study what's going on here. What you've got to understand is that everybody that Jesus was speaking to on this day, they had seen people crucified because they had seen wars and they had seen people charged with war crimes and other crimes. They had seen people crucified. Crucifixion was the worst form of capital punishment at the time. If you had a family member who was crucified, it was embarrassing for you. It was embarrassing for you. So if you had a family member who broke the law, you hoped that what they did wasn't bad enough that it warranted them being crucified. You hoped that that wouldn't happen to them. And so Jesus, when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, this would have been shocking for them. And there are three things about what Jesus says here that they would have already realized. See, the, the first thing that they would have realized is that when Jesus says, take up, your cross, to pick it up. This was a deliberate thing, something deliberate. See, for the person being crucified, it usually started off by them being beaten and tortured. The Romans, they would beat you to the point of death, almost death. They, you would almost be there, but then they would stop, and they'd say, hey, now you know what? Now you're ready to die. And you see that crossbar over there? You go pick it up. Pick it up. You carry your cross. It was a deliberate thing where you had to pick it up. They would have understood that that was what Jesus was saying. If you're going to follow him, deliberately take up your cross. It doesn't happen by accident. Every day it's a decision that you have to make and I have to make, and it's an uncomfortable decision. The second thing that they would have realized is that this really would have been humiliating. Again, you would have been beaten. You would have been beaten, and then you would have been stripped of your clothes, and you would have been paraded around the city for everyone to see. They understood that what Jesus was asking them to do, they had to humble themselves to the absolute lowest place. And finally, they understood that this was a one-way road. Because for all the people that they had seen crucified, what they had never seen was someone carry their cross back to the city. They had never seen someone return from that. And this is what Jesus is calling them to do. Does this sound like the loving Jesus that we all know? Does this sound like a Jesus who's trying to bring peace? See, I want you to understand that Jesus is telling us we've got to make this decision to die. And the truth is anything short of that is not authentic Christian faith. It's not. See, it's that type 
of Christianity that caused Peter to be able to influence three continents and change three continents during his lifetime. It's that type of Christianity that keeps us from being selfish and making church and life all about us. John the Baptist, when talking about Jesus, he said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And that's some great teaching. But really, the standard of Christ is that he must increase and we must decease. We must die. We must die. We have to die. Have we let Jesus challenge our comfort level? Or are we lukewarm, not allowing our faith to be tested? So lukewarm Christians have an untested faith. The second thing that I want you to see this morning about lukewarm Christians is that they have, un- they have uncommitted hearts. They have uncommitted hearts. And what I mean by that is that they have a tendency to hold back. They may give Jesus some of their heart, but not all of it. They're going to hold certain things back. In 1992, some students from a university, from a college in Minnesota, they were actually excavating in Caesarea, which we talked about last week. But they were excavating in in, in Caesarea, and they actually came across a buried treasure, a hidden treasure. They found 99 gold coins that were hidden in a homemade safe underneath someone's bed, this, this house that had been kind of covered up with ground. And so they found these, these 99 coins. And so think about that person who had the 99 coins years and years and years and years and years ago. They had to save those coins, had to work for those coins. And what were they thinking when they got that? Were they thinking, man, I'm set now. 99 coins. I'm going to do it this weekend. This weekend, man, I'm going down to the dealership, and I'm going to get this year's model, not last year's model. I'm getting this year's model of the best-looking donkey you can buy. Man, they were thinking, man, I'm going to get this donkey. It's going to be nice. I'm going to be rolling down the strip in Jerusalem. Man, this thing's going to be custom. It's going to have some short legs. It's going to be the lowest riding donkey you ever seen with custom hooves. I'm going to get custom hooves on that thing. People are going to see my donkey, and they're going to be so impressed. Were they thinking that? What were they going to do with these 99 coins? See, he or she never did anything with them. And what's wild is that they died, and no one close to them, no one in their family even knew that they had this treasure. It was hidden. It was forgotten until accidentally found by some college students from Minnesota. You know what's true about you, what's true about me, is that we're good at hiding treasure. Jesus says a lot about our treasure And he ties our heart to our treasure. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, where you are hiding your treasure, that's where your heart is going to be. Where you're hiding your treasure, that's where you're actually living. And so knowing that, knowing that Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, look at what he says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What does it mean to honor somebody? It means to lift 
them up. And what Jesus is saying is that if you are lifting God up with your lips, with your words, but you are not lifting him up with your heart, that's not good. It's not, it's not good. See, it doesn't matter how loud you sing on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter if you raise your hands in worship. It doesn't matter if you clap or if you sway back and forth. It doesn't matter how loud you do any of those things because if you're not honoring God with your heart, you're not honoring him at all. You're not. The heart is the treasure. And if you are withholding it, God knows it. Is there a part of you is there a part of me that we have compartmentalized, that we, we are refusing to give to God because God wants us to open up this safe, your safe, my safe. He wants us to give him access to our heart, to our treasure. And you know what God wants to do with your heart? You know what he wants to do with your treasure? He really, he wants to spend it. He wants to spend it. He wants to use it how he wants. So we have to be honest about what we are holding back. Is there any place in your life that you have yet to commit to him? You say, well, I'm committed for the most part. I give him this, I give him this, I give him this, I give him this, but I don't give him that. Again, if he doesn't have it all, he doesn't have any. He doesn't have any. So what do we do? We got to give him access to all that we treasure. If not, we're lukewarm. So lukewarm Christians, they have an untested faith. Lukewarm Christians have uncommitted hearts. The third thing that I want you to see this morning is that uh, lukewarm Christians, they have unrepentant lifestyles. They have unrepentant lifestyles. See, so many people say, I want to follow God. I want to follow God, uh, but, but God don't make me uncomfortable. Don't, don't test me. Then some people say, God, I, I want to I I serve you. I want to follow you. I want to give you everything except this thing. I want to keep this thing right here to myself. And then we get to this thought where a lot of people live, and it's with this unrepentant lifestyle. Now, the problem with the word repentant, unrepentant, is that that word repentant, a lot of people, a lot of people misuse that word. It's misused all the time. And I don't always use the right words. I'm actually, again, I'm from Pearl, Mississippi. And so um, I, I, don't, I don't use all, all the right words or the right words all the time. My wife, uh, she graduated in the top five of her class in high school. Man, she's super smart. Uh, not me. And I remember one time her and I, we were getting some ice cream from the drive-thru at Dairy Queen in Clinton, Mississippi. And so when I got to the, you know, the little speaker deal and they're like, hey, can I help you? I said, dude, I got to get me one of them dip cones. Anybody like them dip cones? Just me, praise God. Uh, and so, so I was like, I got to get a dip cone. So they said, okay, whatever, $3. I don't remember how much that. So I go to the window, and when I get there to the window, the woman looks at me, and she says, I'm sorry, sir, we're out of dip cones. And I said, I'm devastated. You hurt my heart. And then I banged my head on the steering wheel. This is a true story. True story. And the lady said, hold on, sweetheart. I'm going to see what I can do for you. That's what she said. And so she comes back and she says, I'm going to get you taken care of. It's going to take a few minutes. And I said, you mean I got to wait? I said, man, I had such a bad day. All I wanted was that dip cone. I said, well, while I wait, can I, can I at least have a flashing fruit punch? And I said, my throat, my throat is starched. And so she looks at me and she said, okay. And so she goes and she gets me a fruit punch. Well, Amanda's laughing at me. I said, why are you laughing? She said, what's wrong with your throat? I said, it's starched. 
She said, don't you mean parched? Ha, 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 She's probably listening online right now. I said, I said you're such a bully, Amanda. Y'all see what I have to live with? Y'all pray for me, man. But, but the truth of the matter is our words matter. Like, check out this sign right here. Our words, they matter. Check out this sign. Violators will be towed and fined $50. Hey, I'd like to find 50 bucks. Hey, I mean, yeah. Words matter. Check out this next one right here. Huh? Exercise your mind and read, man. Thank God for schools, right? Exercise. You, you know, using the right words matter. It really does. It, it matters. And so what is the definition of the word repent? We got to get it right or we're going to misuse it. What does that, that word mean? Repent simply means to change to the right direction. You ever tried using a, a GPS? Ever tried using a GPS? They've come a long way over the years, but we still sometimes we don't follow our GPS correctly. And what I love about a GPS is that if you take the wrong turn, you know what it does? It redirects you. It redirects you. It redirects you. Well, what you've got to understand is that when God redirects you, that is a good thing. That is a great thing. And that's what he wants to do for your entire life. He doesn't just want to re redirect you one time. It is a lifestyle. You and I are supposed to pray daily, God, help me to forgive others. Why? Because I need your forgiveness. It is a lifestyle. God, I took a wrong step. Again, I need you to get me back on the right track. We are always open to more of God's Holy Spirit's guidance. We need that in our life. Again, it is a lifestyle of repentance. And in John chapter 14, Jesus, again, he's talking about what it means to follow him. He's trying to sum it up. And look at what he says in verse 23. The Bible says this, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our homes with them. Everybody say will. That is the key word in that verse right there. Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings and my father and I will love him. We will come to him. Jesus is saying, look, the, the real proof of love for God in your life and in my life is obedience. That's the real proof. If you have a hard time obeying God, it's not a self-control problem. It's a love problem. See, when you truly experience the love of God, you self-correct and you follow him. When you understand exactly how much God loves you and how much he forgives you and how much he has done for you and how much him coming to this earth really means you self-correct and you follow. If you're having a hard time obeying God, you need to go back and figure out how much he actually loves you. We love him because he first loved us. When you understand how much he loves you, and when I understand how much he loves me, we will obey. See, if you're trying to justify a sin in your life, if you're trying to make excuses for something that you just continue to do, you need to go back and discover how much he loves you, how much he sacrificed for you. Because again, once you understand that, 
you will obey and you will give him your all. But again, we don't like to be tested. We don't. We don't like to be tested. Last week we talked about the church, how the gospel demands that we commit to the church of Christ. But in America, we, we just don't understand that. We don't. See, in China, Christianity is actually illegal. I know it's hard for us to imagine that, but it's actually illegal. Christianity is illegal, but the house church, the underground church, is growing by leaps and bounds. And you know what? It's growing by leaps and bounds in spite of the three things that each person who joins the house church agrees to. They actually agree to three things. The first thing that they agree to is this. You know what? If I am put in prison for my faith, that means I am free to share my faith openly. They agree to that. Second thing that they agree to is, you know what? If I'm put in prison and I'm put in solitary confinement, that means that I've got an opportunity to pray, seek God, and search his scripture. The third thing that they say is this, you know what? If I'm killed for my faith, that means that I am being sent to my glory. See, in China, Christians are so serious about following Christ that many of them, once they give their heart to Christ, you know what they do? They dig their own graves so that their family doesn't have to do it. How are they able to do those things? Because they truly understand how much God loves them. And because they understand that, they say, you know what? We will obey. What would, we, what would happen if we took our, our faith in Christ that serious? What, what would happen if we said, God, redirect me. God, get me on the right path. God, I don't want to be lukewarm. So lukewarm Christians, they have an untested faith. They have uncommitted hearts. They have unrepentant lifestyles. And the last thing that I want you to see this morning about, about lukewarm Christians is that they have unused capacity. They have unused capacity. How many of you feel like your life is just busy? It's just busy. A couple people? Yeah, I mean, y'all still with me? My mic's still on, right? All right, been born. Everybody say, hey. Okay, just making sure you're there. People online are like, is he just talking to himself? Anyway, but here we go. I mean, how many of you get in your life, you just say it's busy. We got soccer practice, baseball practice. We got work. We got yard work, housework. We got all of these things. And sometimes because of all of those things, we are under this illusion that we simply cannot add anything else to our life. But I wonder sometimes if God doesn't look at you and look at me, if God, the one who formed us and knit us in our mother's womb, I wonder if he sometimes doesn't look at us and say, you know what, you are nowhere near your capacity. In fact, you're barely living the life I have given you. What would happen to you and to me if we said, you know what, I'm going to take up my cross and no matter what the test is that God has for me, I'm going to go through it. And, and there won't be one piece of my heart that I hold back from you, God. I am giving you my treasure and I will live a lifestyle of repentance and I will live my life to the fullest capacity that you have for me. What would happen if we actually let the words of Christ resonate in our heart and in our life? I'll tell you what, we would be amazed at what God can do for us through and through us. We'd be amazed. See, maybe you've heard of a guy by the name of Francis Xavier. He was born in 1506 in the castle Xavier in Spain, and his parents were very, very, very wealthy and prosperous. 
He was given the best of education, and his entire life was laid out for him. He was going to get his doctorate degree in law, and he was actually going to practice law for kings. He was going to have a comfortable life, and he was going to be well-known during his lifetime. But then he started attending a prayer meeting underneath the chapel at his college, at his college, at his university. Him and three other people, they began, they began going to this prayer meeting. And this was during the time of the Reformation, a lot of political unrest. And what Francis Xavier said was, you know what? I will have nothing to do with the politics of my time. My heart is for the people of India. And so he said, I'm giving up my law career. I'm giving up my career in law, and I'm going, I'm going to reach the people in India for Jesus Christ. And so he goes and he tells his parents, you know what, I'm not going to be a, an attorney. I'm not going to be a lawyer. And they look at him and they say, you know what, you are wasting your life. You are ruining your life. You're not even going to use the education that we have given you. This is going to be a complete waste. But he went to India and he started school after school after school after school. He, in fact, he started schools all over Asia, and he loved the people of Japan. And so after 15 years in India, he, he made his way to Japan, and he changed his methods, and he changed his message, and he had incredible success at a time when no other European was having success anywhere. And one of the things he did was he kept things simple. He only took four books with him when he entered the mission field. He took the Bible and three study books. The Bible and three study books. And so he, he was able to get established in Japan. And after he did that, he prayed that God would allow him to go into China and reach people in China. And so at age 46, he hired a boat to take him to China, and he had a fever. He had a fever. And so on his deathbed... On his deathbed, he wrote a letter to his colleagues, and he said, tell the students to give up their small ambitions and come eastward to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ. And at age 46, he died. Had he lived the life that was laid out for him by his parents, he would have lived longer, but he wouldn't have lived better. He wouldn't have lived better. In fact, he would have died a forgotten lawyer. But instead now in over 25 nations, there are schools that have been inspired by his legacy. His name lives on in anywhere you see an Xavier school. That means that someone is learning about Jesus Christ and their calling in life. He lived his life to its fullest capacity because he understood what had been given to him and what that meant was going to be demanded from him. See, I'm wrapping up. But I want you to see something that Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says something very interesting. Look what he says. He says, from everyone who has been given much. Now let me stop for just a second. Is Jesus talking about our house? Is he talking about money? Is he talking about cars? Is he talking about careers? Is that what he means when he says, for everyone who has been given much? No. Jesus is actually talking about himself. He's saying to the world, 
He's saying to you. He's saying to me. He's saying to everyone. You know what? You have been given Christ who was fully God and fully man. He came to this earth and he taught us and he laid his hands on us and he cast out our demons and he healed us of our leprosy and he caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He has healed us and completely and entirely set us free and he gave his life on Calvary for you and for me and after he gave his life, he rose from the grave. And he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, come, pick up your cross and follow me. That's what we have been given. It is much. It is much. You and I have been given God. God gave himself for us. And Jesus says, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. What is God asking of us? He's asking us to come and die, to take all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. He's asking us to deliberately decide each and every day to pick up our cross, to humble ourselves to deliberately humble ourselves and to give him every part of our heart. Every part. God has given us much and he requires that we give him much in return. He requires that we give him all in return. See, Jesus challenges our small ambitions. That idea that says, I just want to have a nice house in a two-car garage, in a good career. Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he says, I have built you, I have made you for so much more than that, so much more. Jesus wants to give you a greater vision of yourself. Do you want that? Or are you content with being lukewarm? Are you content with just being comfortable and falling asleep? It's my prayer today that if that's you, you'll wake up. That you'll wake up because the gospel demands it. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk. But I wonder today if there's somebody here. can't say that they're lukewarm because they don't know Christ yet. But today you realize how much you've been given. Again, Jesus gave you himself. He wants to save you and set you free. And so if you're here today and you know that you need to be saved, today you need to receive salvation. I don't think I'd be doing my job as a pastor if I didn't give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. So if that's you, you know you need to be saved today. I'm going to ask that right where you are, you pray this prayer. Father, today forgive me for all of my sins. Save me. Mold me into a new person, the person that you want me to be. 
I confess you today as Lord. And today, I decide to pick up my cross and follow you no matter what. Thank you for saving me. As we continue to pray, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, if you prayed today to be saved, I'm going to ask it right where you are that you lift your hand because I just want to see you. I want to pray for you. Amen. 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 God's so good. Father, I also want to pray for each person in this room. Father, help us to think about our faith and the way that we actually live our life. God, you have not called us to be lukewarm for you. Father, I pray that you would help us to truly realize how much you've given us and help us to think about what we give you in return and help us to realize that you demand all from us. And so, Father, today, may we give you our all. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.